Good afternoon, everybody, or good morning or good evening, and welcome to another episode of Buffalo Bills, maybe next year. The podcast, which I will be coordinating this week, but per Buffalo Bills rules, we're going to have to just switch coordinators again uh, next time we go up because we can't stay with a coordinator more than, you know, one week. Not unlike the Bills seem to be able to stay with an offensive coordinator for more than one year. That seems to be uh, the limit on it. I think there's a statute of limitations. It's like a, a congressional term, if you will. Hmm. So, um, But hopefully the whole operation doesn't shut down. Uh, like things tend to do here in D.C. So that's uh, that's government-related humor, which the three of us will love and our listeners aren't going to care about. But what the hell? Anyway, I'm Paul. I'm Scott. I'm Frank. So that was uh, – so, yeah, the Bills, as you may have noted, have switched offensive coordinators yet again. Now, this isn't necessarily a, a negative. We've talked all year and complained all year about Rick Dennison. Some moments of great creativity, some excellent first halves followed by consistently terrible second halves and not taking advantage of personnel and calling uh, stretch runs to Mike Tolbert and other such issues. So uh, we'll start off doing, I guess we'll start off talking about, uh, you know, Dennison being out and then we'll go into Brian Dable and his background being in. So um, we'll start with Frank on, on this talking about Rick Dennison, you know, your impressions of, you know, was this the, a good move? Should they have been more patient with him and gotten him a type of franchise quarterback? Or was it just evident that his he was not an effective play caller, not a good maximizer of his personnel, and this was the, the right move? Well, I think you got to remember back to the beginning that Rick Dennison wasn't their first choice last year anyway, I think. If I remember right, another – uh, and then they got that guy got a different job in, in whoever they wanted. I forget who it McCoy. was. Mike McCoy. McCoy, right. Um, and so I think that, you know, in order to have kept his job, he would have really had to um, shine. And I think that throughout the year, the offense had tons and tons of problems. And certainly there is a scheme versus talent uh, issue. But, you know, Paul highlighted some of the issues. There were some bad play calls, which is not just, you know, an occasional thing, but there was sort of a bad philosophy there there seemed to be an inability to adjust after halftime as good as they came out um uh at the beginning of some games they really couldn't first of all score on those first drives but then second of all uh had a real issue moving the ball in the second half throughout the, the whole year uh including in jacksonville where you know i if you listen to that podcast i felt like they had a pretty good game plan about getting tyrod out of the pocket and doing stuff some of that to me was on tyrod for not you know continuing not, yeah, not run, executing yeah. right and not executing and and taking what he could get and some of that was the second half they didn't adjust um and sure jacksonville has a good defense but you know it's not like pittsburgh didn't score 41 last week either so there's there was certainly room for offensive improvement uh that was beyond what the the play calling was i think the other thing to keep in mind is if the bills have a handle on what they want to do at quarterback and what they feel is possible to be done at quarterback, Dennison might simply not fit what it is they think they are going to get. Um, and so that is certainly my thoughts on Rick Dennison that like, I'm not going to really, I, you know, I feel bad a guy's out of a job, but my guess is he'll end up being a, a line coach or whatever he did before offensive coordinator before this. Um, and, you know, Brian Dable's going to get a job, uh, He's played on some my, – my initial thought was he was a coach in the SEC, which doesn't really throw the ball very much, and 
His offensive offenses have been pretty terrible um, in the NFL. So I really have and had some concerns. Some of those have been um, eased, I would say. I don't want to say I feel better or good about the hire, um, but it's eased me that more than one person has said his plan on offense was to get the ball to the most dynamic playmaker, and he didn't really have a philosophy of, you know, run to set up the pass or pass to set up the run. It was, who's our best player? How can we get the ball in their hands? And I think that included, you know, Ben Watson in Cleveland, which really speaks to the level of talent in Cleveland when he was there. But if I remember right, it was also Detroit and like Calvin Johnson, if I, or, or, or no, I, he was the big receiver that they, he got his hands on. Anyway, there was a couple of people that like, okay, that makes sense. And that seems to be a good, a good and different way to run an offense. Um, you know, and so I was at least hopeful that, you know, whoever is on the offense next year, this is a guy who, um, and another feather in his cap has been hired more than once by Bill Belichick. You know, that certainly speaks to something. Um, so they also didn't waste any time in hiring him. Like the 24 hours, they pretty much knew who they wanted. Um, so some of those things speak in his favor. I'm still concerned that I haven't seen any sort of finished or great product from him. Um, there really wasn't going to be a, a guaranteed success anyhow. Uh, but that's that's my initial thoughts on Denison and, and, and Dable. All right, Scott, what are your thoughts on uh, on the switch at coordinator? So, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot to agree with with, with, with what Frank said. Um, certainly there's a um, – I'd say the biggest thing for me was the inability to not improve after halftime. I mean, I think they say that that's – one of the biggest differences you can see in a well-coached team and a not as well-coached and coordinated team is that in, in halftime, somebody goes in and makes adjustments, and then if the game starts changing, it's because one team's adjustments were better than the others, um, and it seemed consistently that we were not making the better adjustments. So that's definitely uh, something that concerns me. I think, you know, to a certain extent, um, you know, I do... To, to me, this is, this is an important point, not just for... Uh, Dennison and obviously like his his career, but you know we have to in the grand evaluation of the Sean McDermott kind of Brandon Bean uh, timeline. You know this is kind of considered you know a uh, you know a, a negative point. I mean again, it's not overwhelming. It's not one that we can't you know he's had others. He's had other positive ones, but I think this is one that I also to a certain extent put on him because I mean yeah you can have you know a number one guy and if it's McCoy that's that's one thing. Um, it's odd that I think McCoy is available now and they didn't go after him. Um, so I don't know why they feel Dayball is that much better than the guy they thought they had going for last year. But I would say that, you know, McDermott does have to own his coordinator hires. And given that he's already jettisoned one of them after a year, you know, that to a certain extent shows the guy. Um, you know, I think to me, like, I'm not in love with Dable. Um, I, you know, I, he was basically coaching for the. 33rd NFL team, the one that's uh, headquartered in Tuscaloosa um, and only plays only plays college opponents for some reason. But, um, you know, them winning games is not a is, you know, is not dependent on the coaches or it's not dependent on the, the schemes that they run. Let's just put it that way. It's mostly dependent on the fact that they have better athletes than 99 percent of the people they play. So I think, you know, 
uh, it's going to be a different offense that he's going to run when he gets to us because we're not going to have the same personnel. Obviously, we don't even know who we're going to have a quarterback. Uh, we will get to that in a minute, obviously. But I think, um, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously, if he's a guy who can get the ball to McCoy, that's great. But I think we've kind of proven that this year that's not enough. Um, you know, and I think, um, you know, even as much as we'd like to say that, you know, a defense can can get you in the in the conversation and a, and a run game will help with that, you know, getting the quarterback to be part of the solution and not part of the problem is ultimately like the offensive coordinator's kind of biggest responsibility and the, the team's biggest responsibility. So, you know, we'll see what happens, you know, we'll give him a shot. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I was in love with any of the other candidates that were out there. I think McCoy was one. Um, I think they were saying like Jim Caldwell was one. I do like having guys who were like former head coaches being your coordinators. Cause I think that gives them a little better perspective, but um, I could see why you wouldn't want Jim Caldwell because he's Jim Caldwell. So fair enough. Yeah. So Dennison, I mean, this is, and you both hit on some of the, the salient points I was, was going to mention about him on the, you know, it's, it's a tough decision to make. He, there was definitely, he was limited by his personnel. One thing I mentioned last week is, is Tyrod Taylor really seemed to, yes, he's always had limitations, but he really seemed to regress on the deep ball. And there were a few plays in Jacksonville and throughout the season where if he'd hit a deep ball uh, that was there, it would have changed the complexion of the game. And he missed two of them in Jacksonville. The Bills were the only team, by the way, in the regular season to not hit a pass play of 50 plus yards the entire season. So that limited him. There were no other running backs on the roster that could stretch the, the field laterally except for McCoy. Uh, you're obviously not looking for LaShawn McCoy too, but Gillisley could do that. Carlos Williams to a degree could do that. He did not have that on the roster, at least no one who could stay healthy, even though we saw it a little bit out of Cadet. And on one play from Taiwan Jones, where he was able to stretch field laterally, had a ragtag band of wide receivers, you know, limited personnel, scrap heat pickups. You know, Jordan Matthews was hurt most of the year, and he had about 60% of an offensive line. He did not really have a great complement of five players up front that could play off each other, as well as the fact that continuity becomes an issue, and, and now you've gotten uh, various personnel used to uh, the, the system, the way plays are called, the nomenclature of it, and now you've got to start over. All of that said, I'm in agreement with you both that I think this was the right decision to, to make. Continuity only goes so far as – you know, if you're going from where you see areas of improvement, and there weren't areas of improvement, we saw this this offense regress notably under under his leadership. We also saw you know coaches who were able to get the same type of production or better production out of less. In fact, they, they, you have to go all the way back to the Dick Duran era to find an offense that did less than this offense, and even three of those four offenses under Duran did much much better than this offense did. And those offenses did not have LaShawn McCoy, uh, nor did it have, you know, three good offensive linemen. They had Jason Peters, and that was about it uh, at that point in time. So, you know, there's there was just – there was enough personnel that there should have been, you know, better production. Scott pointed out, you know, how bad this team was in the second half, the total inability of these teams to, you know, do anything uh, in the, the second half of, uh, you know, the second half of games. And that's, that's going to come back to – to haunt you. And, and it did in, in Jacksonville. We saw them get away with it against Kansas City, against Indianapolis, and against some other lesser teams. But when you get into the playoffs, you know, all it would have taken was, you know, eight points at any time during that second half. And right. we would have been, we'd be talking this week instead about how the team just got destroyed by the Patriots. Right. Even just <laughs> scoring that touchdown that, like, 
you know, at the, yeah. the, the goal line. Yeah, when they, when they got to the goal line to, to score, there would have been huge. So all of those uh, are reasons why I agree with the dismissal. A little bit on, on Dayball's his background, and obviously Frank and, and Scott covered some of this already. One thing we did mention, he is a Buffalo area native. Uh, went to school right. in Buffalo. He was from Welland, Ontario, which is just outside of Buffalo. Is that, is that important to you guys at all? Like, did, does that make you feel better about this fire? I will no. say, see, uh, and, and Frank disagrees, which is great. I would say it helps at least in terms of knowing the culture that he is getting into, whereas a lot of players seem to be surprised by the fact that it's very much like a college football town, players and coaches. He seem, he'll have that understanding. But I think Frank was about to say no in terms of him helping be a better coach. But let, let's see where Frank is going. I just was going to say, I, I suppose it's it's nice for the local papers to write a couple of local angles. And I guess, I mean, the, 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 I just to disagree with Paul, like the culture, I mean, how many times has the culture, I mean, I, I guess you'd step into it knowing what the bills might mean to the area a little better. But mm-hmm. that's not really the same as like the culture that he's stepping into at work. Um, I certainly don't dislike it. I suppose it's nice for him. I suppose that means, you know, uh, he fully knows what it means to live in the Buffalo area. Unlike, I guess, a player or a coach might if they if they had come from somewhere else and they'd be like, wait a minute, this isn't this is a little slower or colder than I thought it would be. But, you know, I mean, so it's good, I suppose, in that regard to like, no, but I don't know. No, I would, I would agree. It's, uh, you know, it, it, I'll agree on that front, even though I, I do think there is some benefit to knowing the, the culture. You know, it doesn't, let's put it this way, the fact that he was from Buffalo didn't make uh, Corey Graham any better with safety. He did very well in there for years, and I was glad they I hired him, but it had nothing to do with him being for, from Buffalo. Whereas uh, John Cordo, you might remember from Buffalo, New York, linebacker slash safety, played four years for some very terrible Bills teams, and it was not all that good, you know, and it didn't have anything to do with the fact that he was from Orchard Park, New York, originally. So like, he certainly got to the stadium on time. He knew the commute better, uh, but, you know, otherwise. He knew that back road. He knew, he knew, like, what was a, what was the best parking lawn? Oh, yeah, knew the best Orchard slide. Park. He would take California when Abbott was, you know, backed up from traffic. Yep. So uh, and this is a perfect time for the sirens to go by in the middle of my spiel. But uh, the other thing is his connections to McDermott date all the way back to their time at William and Mary, which is, you know, not far from here. Uh, well, it's not close to here. It's he, a couple hours away. But He played for U of R, right? He was the safety for the University of Rochester or no? He was. Yeah, he did. He played uh, college football at University so of he Rochester. Was there, he was there like my last, like my first year was his last year. And if I remember right, the football team hadn't won a game for two years. So... Maybe he's better suited for the offense. <laughs> that is, uh, and you, you bring up a good point I'd had here to, to mention in his his background. When he came into the, the the league, he was a defensive coaching assistant with the Patriots during their early Super Bowl years, and then he moved to the offensive side of the ball, became the receivers coach, and then is uh, you mentioned Frank, he was a coordinator for three fairly terrible offenses from 2009 to 2012. Although they were also horrible personnel wise with the, the yeah. Browns, the Dolphins, and Chiefs. Uh, and then he went back to the Pats for 2013 to 16. He was an offensive assistant and tight ends coach. Uh, and yeah, so he was most recently at Alabama. He was only remembered at Alabama for one year, though. So it's not like he had a huge history in the SEC there. He was the offensive coordinator. Uh, and they had a heck of a showing in the second half to win the national championship, as you all know. Uh, the Buffalo News had a good article. I encourage everyone to read pre- talking about how he really prefers a possession passing game uh, in her terms of his offense. Again, I just rather than recount that article to you, just, you know, 
uh, give it a quick look up and you can read about some of the schemes he prefers and how that will help with the offense. So uh, I also want to give a shout out to uh, writer Joe Biscotti who wrote an article when I was researching this. Oh, he's doing a bit. Oh, okay. Let me, let me log out and then. Uh, what we'll do, how about we get started talking about uh, our options Irod, and then you pop back in and, and, and we'll let you know where we are. Sounds good. All right. So moving on to the quarterback scenario and the most awkward transition we've ever had, which is saying something, but it's it's important to say. So what's interesting to me about the quarterback situation, we'll start with Scott on this, as we tried to do initially. So you can, I think we are in large agreement that, and most Bills fans are, that Tyrod is not a, a franchise quarterback. But that, no matter what degree you feel on, on him, you could think like he's a good bridge quarterback, you need to keep him around. You could think, but even if you think that, you could still promote cutting him and then trying to bring him back at a better salary or trying to restructure his salary, knowing that the demand might not be so high that you could get him for less than the 18 million you'd pay if you don't try to do a restructure. You could also, you know, not, uh, you also could think he's valueless and should be a backup next year, but you could want him to be a good backup on the roster. So you keep him. So, so many different ways you could think about the situation. So starting with, uh, with with Scott on this topic, what are your thoughts on what to do uh, in this snare that the Bills have found themselves in? So, uh, you know, obviously we're in it. We're, you know, I, I think the, all the tea leaves are, are pointing to Tyrod out. I think that's I think that's going to happen, um, whether it's a trade or a cut. Um, you know, to my mind, you know, if you're trading someone for pennies on the dollar, like we did with Darius, which was literally pennies on the dollar, then I would say. You know, if you're getting a fifth round pick back for Tyrod, that you might as well be cutting him because you're really not getting any value out of it, and you're also you, you're also going to eat some of that money probably. Um, you know, you're going to eat some of it on the on the cap hit too, depending on when you when you when you cut him. Um, I think that's probably what will happen. I think a better choice is probably to end up drafting a quarterback, just because um, you're really when you're drafting. They've consistently said they want to build through the draft, and ultimately that is the the best chance to get a franchise quarterback because they are so rare to actually get on the market in a free agent kind of way. Um, so uh, I think they're going to draft a quarterback and I think you want to keep Tyrod just because I feel like it keeps the momentum of the team going. Um, you know, yeah, it's a lot of money, but it's a, not a long-term deal. I don't know how they're going to spend this much, the amount of cap space they're going to end up with um, by, because you know, there's a lot of guys who are probably not going to be get brought back. Just regardless, we'll get to the list of like free agents in a minute here. But you know, I think there's a lot of guys who are not going to be back. They're going to have a lot of cap space. They could use, you know, ten or eighteen million of it, whatever it is, on Tyrod and keep him around for another season. And then you know that lets the you know the first round guy kind of get some get some you know some real you know real practice reps at least and maybe some game reps depending on the situation and then you kind of know what you have with him to a certain extent and, and Tyrod can kind of keep the veterans you know motivated and interesting and, and keep butts in the seats and, and everything else so that that's kind of what I would do but I don't think they're going to go that route all right Frank? yeah I would I think Scott's right about the trade value you're not going to get much for him because you, teams know teams will know that you know he's doing six million dollar roster bonus if he's on if he's on the team as of you know i think it's like two days after the the league uh year starts and so if you trade before then uh then you're going to you know the, the team's going to have to pay that bonus whoever acquires him and if they don't then the bills are going to have to pay it and if you're going to get a fifth or a sixth round 
player and you're going to spend $6 million for that privilege, well, that's just goofy. And so most teams know that you're going to cut him. So you're not really going to get anything for him. My guess is, you know, that they, they will cut him. I think, um, you know, he, he did not perform the, I guess if the only tea leaf that doesn't point to that is the firing of Rick Dennison, where you might say, okay, well, you know, clearly they weren't satisfied with him. Maybe they think they, you know, that's an indication that they feel he, he should have gotten more out of Tyrod in the offense. But I think that they, they view it as a joint blame. Um, they weren't particularly keen to re-sign him last year. Other teams weren't particularly keen to sign him last year. My guess is he'll he'll be cut and he will end up on a team as a backup. Um, there's a few teams that might be able to use him as a, as a starter, but I don't think that they're going to go that way. I think the book is out on Tyrod. And lots of teams that need quarterbacks aren't going to really rush to get him, especially because there are other, you know, free agent quarterback signings that would uh, be available. Kirk Cousins, you know, first among first among equals this year. Um, and then I guess there's a lot of steam that Alex Smith might be traded um, with Pat Mahomes looking to take over the reins in Kansas City. Uh, so I think that they'll cut him, and I think they're gonna. Uh, I think that's probably the right thing to do. I think I can't see Tyrod playing better um, than he did. Uh, I mean, he did play better. This was statistically one of his worst years as a bill, but I don't really, you know, conceive of him as playing much better. Um, and with regards to butts in the seats, I think that's a fair point, but I think you can get decent amount of veteran presence and veteran play without having to pay the, what he's going to be owed this year. So the contract was written this way for a reason. So they're going to get rid of him uh, and save some money. And I think that's what I would expect them to do. Sure. You don't have one more point to make while the siren. Yeah, while the siren and I just, if I could reiterate one more time that <laughs> sirens are bad and don't should not be on podcasts. Yes, I agree. So now that the siren has gone by, I guess I can give my thoughts on yes. Um, yeah. So I would, you know, I I'm partially in agreement with you both. I, I think he might have some trade value, but as Scott mentions, it might not be very high trade value. What they might want to try to pull is something like they did with uh, Darius along the lines of, all right, you know, here's we'll trade Tyrod for a fifth round pick. We'll pick up this much of his salary, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and I think the rules, of course, say how much salary they're going to, to pick up. I don't think the teams have much say in it like they do in other sports. Yeah, it's not hockey, right. Or, or baseball for that matter, too. But um, I think what inevitably, uh, but they should also try and make incentive like, oh, if Tyrod starts for you, you know, it's a fourth round pick. And if Tyrod starts for you and you make the playoffs, it's a fourth round pick and then a seventh round pick the next year, something like that. I think they could get some value. And the way this organization likes to hoard draft picks, if you will, I would be fully expecting them to at least try to get some trade value out of him. Of course, uh, as you guys have both alluded to, you need a willing partner to trade, and it's very possible, especially after what most people are remembering when they see him, is his performance in the playoffs and how not good that was. And, you know, they're thinking, eh, look, if we've got Bortles, we've got Keenum, and we've got Nick Foles in the championship games. So you can survive without, you know, those are all guys who are better than Tyrod. So let's just, you know, settle with what we have and see if we can move forward until we find a franchise guy. So I think, you know, his value will be tough. So what will happen, you know, and they 
you know, they would have to pay him a roster bonus if they keep him in March, but they'd save more against the cap if they wait until after June 1 to cut him. I mean, there's so much they can do here. I eventually think they're going to do what they did with Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and move on. I don't know if it's going to be post-June 1 uh, or not. You know, that's something, you know, I, I just don't have the inside knowledge of, nor does anyone right now, nor do I think McDermott and Bean even know exactly what they're going to do. But I, I could be wrong there. So it's also possible that um, if they – I, I just – the reason I think that they'll move on like they did with Fitz is they know he's not fit anymore. It's an, Even though he is a consummate professional, as, as we saw when he was benched for Nathan Peterman, he's a good leader. He's respected. That is very tough to go into, you know, you're going to be a backup on this team that you've led for three years and led to the playoffs and have, you know, may have an over 500 record when you start for this team for three seasons. I know people say 22 and 22, but for Christ's sake, please stop counting that Matt Castle one snap as him being the starting quarterback in that game against the Colts. So we know he's over, you know, he's really over 500. So you just – but it's it's going to be difficult for him to want to take a back seat. But I think it's going to be difficult from a continuity perspective to keep him on the roster, even if he's quiet. The second a new guy struggles, there's going to be rumblings from some of the leaders on the team, like we want to win, and you're putting a guy in here who's not helping us win. So I think with all of those factors in play, it's just going to be very difficult for them to keep him on the roster, even though from a competitiveness perspective, competitiveness perspective, it, it might behoove them to do so. So I think they'll they'll move on from him as well. I do think they're going to be extremely aggressive in trying to trade him and get at least some value from preferably a fifth round pick or higher when at least you have some chance of success with someone who's not just a roster filler, although the fifth round admittedly is stretching it if you're looking for someone who's not just a roster filler. So, you know, we'll we'll see. It's going to be an interesting few months, and I think it'll transition nicely before we end this discussion because a lot of our Facebook and Twitter questions, uh, as you guys have noticed, have been on this very topic. So we'll probably transition to those now as we uh, continue on this topic. So let's let's do that. So we'll look first as I go to the Maybe Next Year page, which I'm doing on my phone, by the way, because I do not want to uh, open more tabs and is absolutely necessary right now. So uh, the first comment from, from Steven, you know, you go to war with the army you have, not the one you wish you had. I feel like Dennison game planned around the offense he wished he had. I know he didn't have a lot to work with. That was the offense he had. And I think we've covered that already. So we don't need to go too much. But yeah, we agree. Donald Ramsfall quotes. Yes. Controversial. Yeah. No, it's uh, we, 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 we take known knowns and unknown knowns. Knowns yes. also known. We did add some Nader quotes on this podcast. That's Able one thing. We're... Definitely an unknown unknown. Yeah. Yes. So uh, here's the here's Stephen's thoughts on the QB situations. Bills have so many holes to fill. I don't want to see them trade away all their draft capital to get a QB, particularly when drafting a QB is at least fifty percent crapshoot. Off the top of your head, how many QBs picked in the first round can you name uh, who didn't pan out? Hope is not a strategy. Uh, but in this case, who's, who, who said that, by the way, guys? I do not know off the top of my head. Hope is not a strategy. I think that was yeah. Admiral Akbar. All right. Admiral. <laughs> there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of people with that one, yeah. That's actually Vince Lombardi. Oh, okay. Or, uh, I think so. The first name that came up was Lombardi. So let me see. Go ahead. All, keep right. Talking. All right. So in this case. Duke of Lombardi, I hope, actually. Right. I hope their guy, whoever that is, dropped to the mid-teens where a trade-up may be more reasonable. I hope so, too, though. The draft boards right now are showing that 
And again, the draft boards now are, I shouldn't say they're meaningless, but they should be taken with a grain, of, if not salt, a grain of, you know, maybe pepper, a little bit larger than salt, but not to be taken too seriously. Uh, and then Steven, you know, essentially counters that saying that's a lot of teams may be looking for a QB in this draft or maybe on the first six picks alone, as he uh, points out. Uh, we've seen in recent years what the going rate is for one of the top two QB picks. Uh, and then the Cleveland may be interested in trading down. So, yeah, we didn't really, in the, in the Tyrod discussion moving out, we didn't really talk about the Bills draft strategy then for quarterback. Um, you know, any thoughts on, you know, what they want to do? And we'll start with Scott on this one on what they want to do come uh, draft time as far as, you know, at least need to get one more on the roster. I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think it's really going to depend on the coordinator and what he determines that Peterman can give them. Because I think on some level, like if they determine now that Peterman has played in two NFL games, he is now, as far as I'm concerned, a veteran NFL backup, or at least capable of being a veteran NFL backup. Um, you know, I think he's, I don't think. I, I, it looks like Scott has faded out again. Scott, yeah, you faded. Okay. All right, he's back now. Sorry. There you go. Um, so the as much as we make fun of Peterman for the five picks, you know, at least he is a serviceable NFL backup, or you know, he's a guy who knows the system. Well, he knew the system. Now he doesn't even know it. So it's really going to depend on what the coordinator <laughs> thinks about him. And if he stays, then I don't feel like we need to draft another quarterback unless we want to make him the starter or the the heir apparent, so to speak. So um, I think I. I'd like to think again. It, I, I said earlier, I think they're going to draft a quarterback because, and I think that's what they're going to do. They do have some intriguing kind of veteran free agents out there, but I don't know that any of them are have like the ties to McDermott or Bean that are the apparently the decisive factor in whether or not you get signed as a free agent for this team. So I, I think we'll probably end up drafting. I don't want to get into like which one because it'll just. There's plenty right. of right, and so much can change between you know. On the, I remember when there was a day when like Jimmy Clausen was going to the Bills at number ten at, at one point in time, mm -hmm. way back when. So right. there's a lot that's going to change the value of these QB. We still have the Senior Bowl to play. Uh, there's there's a lot of, of things that are going to change. Um, I disagree a little with Stephen that it's a fifty percent. I mean, drafting a QB is at least a fifty percent crapshoot. I don't know if it's quite that bad if you're sticking to the first round. I think more quarterbacks, like, I think it gets, I think if you average out all the rounds, it gets worse because typically third and later quarterbacks don't ever pan out and you have some second round quarterbacks that pan out. Um, but I mean, there is identifiable talent in the first round and you can go after that talent and hope for the best, not just hope for the best, but, you know, that's what we're doing with lots of these positions is we can identify some amount of talent um and go forward i am looking forward to them drafting a quarterback i think they will uh i think that they need better than nathan peterman as well i'd like i did like certain things about nathan peterman i liked how the football came out quickly and like very fast and i had feelings although i didn't it, like how when he did that it usually ended up in the went right the into another person's hand that, that, right. that's that tended to be the issue with him yeah. now i hope i i if i was going to really argue for him i'd say that maybe if there was better offensive line protection or it wasn't against san diego that first week um or, right, or coming into week. a playoff game against jacksonville right totally yeah. cold and having to be like okay you have to lead us to a tie in the playoffs right now or or we're gonna lose good luck right 
So I think you could have put him in a better situation and started him off better and, and it would have worked. And I liked how he didn't completely cave because he did come into the Colts game and played pretty well for a guy. Yeah, in the, he, in what, the is he officially, the Bills won a game he started uh, that right. game. Uh, and left after a concussion. Um, so, you know, there were things to like about Nathan Peterman, but he's a fifth round guy for a reason. There were clear talent issues and and with him. And, and there was lots more question marks than not question marks with a guy like him, as opposed to a handful of, you know, they're saying as many as six quarterbacks available. Um, you know, I think certainly three or four of them looked very good. Uh, look like, look like there's pretty good consensus that they're good, good players. And I think that the bills, um, I think Steven's right that like a lot of teams are going to need quarterbacks this year and the bills might have to move up a little to get one, but we'll have to see. My hope is that, um, uh, Baker not Scott doesn't want to name names, but my hope is that Baker Mayfield <laughs> continues to grab his crotch all off season. And then they take him because right. I, I like everything I've read about him other, and I don't even really care that he grabbed his crotch. So, uh, you know, does that fit with Scott McDermott? Mm, I don't know, but we'll, we'll have or to even see. Sean McDermott for that. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Or Sean McDermott, you know, I think, I think if you can, you know, <laughs> one of the, the Super Bowl, we'll start getting his name right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He makes the play. What else does he need from me to like get his guy? <laughs> to um, I will say that the interview with Bean on WGR, where he basically said that he had seen all the quote all the quarterbacks that matter, um, and I think the other way he said it was quarterbacks that might go in the first round. I think it's clear that they've identified talent that they think is there to take in the first round. My guess and my hope is they have an understanding about what the most they will spend to get that guy is. So they probably know here are the four or five. This is what we make of these six quarterbacks. This is what we think it's worth with regards to moving up. And if you can make one of those deals work, and if not, you know, you do something else. Um, so we'll, we'll see. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm ready to spend some of the picks now, not just yeah. trade them down and trade away. I'm ready to, you know, not be Cleveland and actually just try and get acquire some talent instead of acquiring promise of future talent. Right. I, there's a, a Browns podcast that we we follow, you know, and I have listened to a couple of it's called Surviving the Season. And, and I think one of the frustrating things is they there's and not the not the podcasters, but the kind of the view it presents like, yeah, it's great. We have all these draft picks, but most draft picks, the majority don't pan out. And also the fact that people are high on some players on their current roster, like none, a lot of these players on the roster haven't even won a game in the NFL. So, you know, maybe you see them because they get playing time, they make some plays, but they also haven't made enough to, to not be one of the two winless teams in NFL history. So they got a lot of problems there. Uh, anyway, we're going to skip Steven's question on the holes and the impending free agents. In fact, we'll use that to lead into our next topic. Uh, but going on to James, he says, assuming we trade up for a QB, which team seems most plausible to trade with? I personally, and you guys can disagree with me, I think it's a little too early to decide that because we don't, know you know which teams are making efforts to sign which uh, of their free agents what they're going to go after i think it's difficult to know that at this point <laughs> in the process without knowing uh other teams priorities uh you know uh, uh, i will bless scott and i'll go to frank any thoughts on you know teams that might be worth you know might be interested in moving down or do we just not have that knowledge yet uh, i think we have a little bit of knowledge and we're going to have more as it goes along i think you're going to look at a team like indianapolis and if they believe that um, if they believe that uh, Andrew Luck's rehabilitated, I don't think they're going to want to draft another quarterback, so they're going to be willing to trade down. Or in the alternative, trade Andrew Luck. I think that if the Giants want to keep Eli Manning, 
they could be talked into being traded down because they wouldn't necessarily need the best court, one of the best quarterbacks off the board quite yet. Um, I think a team like, um, you know, and then there's going to be whoever signs Kirk Cousins won't necessarily need a quarterback. I think who, because certainly you're not going to spend as much money as he's going to command and then also take a top six guy, I don't think. I think you're going to be committing, committed to uh, quarterbacks. So I think you can name a couple of teams that look like they're probably going to be partners in moving down. The question, as always, will be how much will that cost and how far up will you actually go? Yeah, I'll, I will just jump in on this quickly. I also think, I mean, yeah, we'll see how the free agency plays out. But I think, to me, I think, and I, I forget whose who's draft analysis I was reading, but there's there's clearly kind of a one-two of Rosen and Darnold. And that most people think that those yeah. those are going to be the two first two off the board um, and that there's a good chance that they could go one-two in some question, some order or another to the Browns and Giants just because those two need those two teams need quarterbacks, you know, immediately if you're the Browns and soon if you're the Giants. Um, and they they both need to you know get them right because they're they're pretty awful otherwise. So yeah. I think the so then I think there's an argument that if you're not if you if you think that's how the draft's going to shake out and we'll, again we'll see how Darnold and Rosen do in their workouts and the combine and everything else. But I think if you're not going to make a run for those two guys and I think it's hard too because those I'm not in favor of like trading you know doing the you know, the Ricky Williams or Herschel Walker, you know, trade your whole draft for one guy thing, even if it's a quarterback, which is the only way it's debatable. Um, then I'd say that you're really going to have the pick of your, of the next kind of top guys, your Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson guy who's on the edge in that, in that zone is um, you can get that anywhere from that kind of seven to 10 range, because most of those guys, Tampa Bay, Chicago, San Francisco, and yeah. Oakland already have pretty, pretty established quarterbacks. So I think you can get that for probably get that for your, for one of the two first rounders. And then one of the two second rounders. Um, I would think that that's a decent deal to let you get your pick of the, the next tier of quarterbacks. I think you're a little light on what it's going to cost, but I, I, I agree that that's a good range to target because from Tampa to, like you said, Oakland, uh, not really quarterback. Although, I mean, Chicago might be done with Mitch Trubisky already, but they, they spent a lot to get him last year. So <laughs> yeah, that, they won't, they'll they burn won't. Soldier Field down if they get drafted as a quarterback. Right. They didn't like yeah. it last year, so they're not going to like it this year. Yeah, and I think they the Niners will almost certainly franchise, if not sign, Jimmy Garoppolo because they went out to get him. Oh yeah, and I don't, I'm I'm guessing Oakland doesn't want to move on from Derek Carr yet. So yeah, eleven's the Dolphins, so they might also. I don't think the Bills are going to make a trade of the Dolphins just on anything, just because right. they're in the division. And then you get to Dalton and Cincinnati, and you know it gets you're you're gonna you're gonna have to take your hopes that that whoever you want is still there if you're drafting below ten. Right. Right, and of course, all, all of this is really just uh, postponing the inevitable two to three years from now when the Bills draft to a to go Veloa. <laughs> And, uh, you know, because that's why they hired David. Playing the long con. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's what's going to happen. Trust the process. (laughs) Uh, Brian, uh, you know, essentially agrees with everything that that Steven says. I said, you know, they want to get, you know, if a QB falls, fine. Otherwise, you'd be happy to trade down, get more picks for next year. Uh, Steven mentioned, and, and we... We'll skip Stevens' next question because we address on, you know, it seems that they knew exactly who they wanted and what did that say after they let Dennison go. I think it's a it's a good sign at least they were decisive, and Scott went into some detail on that. And then on Twitter, we had one uh, question from Jesmond. He said, thought, 
Uh, don't trade any picks to get a better QB. Too risky, which we just talked about at length. A uh, question with three average poor QBs contesting this year's AFC championship games, is Tyrod good enough if we improve the rest of the team coaching? I'm going to jump in and say uh, yes, but you listen to should... this podcast before we have opinions <laughs> on this. Yeah. We have strong opinions about this. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, you know, I've always felt that he is good enough, but that he's needs so much room for improvement in other areas. You really, really need to look top. It's the same thing with Jacksonville, just because you've gotten this far. And even if they pull a huge upset and beat the, 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 whoever they're playing about the Patriots, that's right. I think uh, I've heard of them. Yeah. The, the new England Patriots or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you still have to look fine. So, and you could say the same thing about a team like Baltimore, to be honest, they won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco. And I look at Flacco and I'm like, oh, you, you can do better, you know? So why don't you look to move better? But, but that's my take. Scott, we started with Frank last time. So I know your, your thoughts on this. What was the question? It was essentially if, you know, can the seeing the, the average quarterbacks that have made it this far, uh, can they can is Tyrod good enough that they can win if they improve in the, the holes around him, which we're gonna use to transition to the next question as well? Um, maybe we can skip it too. Maybe we'll go with maybe, Frank. Any maybe. thoughts? I'd say, yeah, it could, but that's not the point. Yeah, <laughs> like the point is to be there, like a lot, and you know, that's like, like you just said, Jacksonville got there and won a game, and these other two teams kind of won a game or two and really like Minnesota won by the skin of their teeth. Jacksonville won by the skin of their teeth by all rights. Like, you know, in a, in a perfect world, neither one of those teams should have won in advance. If you really look at the miracle that was in Minnesota and the, you know, basically a, yeah, a turnover is the difference in the Pittsburgh Jacksonville game. And uh, you know, so could you do it? Sure. Like if they had, Scored another eight points on Sunday. I wouldn't doubt that they could have done the same thing Jacksonville did. Got lucky against Pittsburgh. But uh, that's not how you want to do it. You want to be Pittsburgh, New England, Aaron Rodgers, and Green Bay, and basically be in every year. And then yeah. give yourself as many chances as you can, as opposed to having to capitalize this year. I will bet money now that these th- of the three non-Brady quarterbacks at least two of them won't be in the playoffs next year. Ooh. That's a good call. Yep. And, so, I like, and I like Frank's overall point here too, which, and I mentioned with Flacco in the Super Bowl, the teams that have the, you know, Roethlisberger's, the Brady's, the Rogers, you know, and Rogers wasn't healthy this year. They are mainstays in the divisional round of the playoffs, at least every year. They pretty much mm-hmm. get that far every year. You can't even say that about Baltimore. They're not even a consistent playoff team with Flacco. Even the year they won the Super Bowl, they were a nine and seven team. So, um, so now we're going to transition this uh, because it, it boils down to you know what Jasmine was getting at, what Stephen had asked directly. You know they've got a lot of holes on the roster. I've opened up over the cap.com on my computer, which means I will soon be zooming, I'm sure. So just warn me when I do. Mm-hmm. But the bills I put, they have only 25. What I, I quote is real players under contract, and I count. The first player I don't count as a real player is Rod Streeter. Once you get to that point, when you're looking down the bills list, it's a lot of guys on futures contracts, reserve guys. The only one below that is really Reed Ferguson, who will be on the roster as a long snapper. But otherwise, this is a thin team going into next year. They've got a lot of uh, free agents to sign. So when we look at – and I, I'll, I'll leave it pretty open-ended, and we'll start with, with Frank on this one. You have – 
so many players. You've got the Preston Browns, the EJ Gaines, the Jordan Matthews, some guys, you know, looking at the list of free agents, who do you look to retain? Uh, who do you look to jettison? And then which, you know, which holes, you know, are you willing to get rid of? Uh, because yeah, Dawes from well, do you look to part with Glenn for salary cap space, knowing that creates another hole on the offensive line that you have to fill that is not an easy hole. So just thoughts on what the Bills are going to do to try and, you know, fill all these vacant spots. To be honest, there are so many vacant spots and I don't have the free agent list in front of me. I am not entirely sure how to answer That's this all question. Right. I can, uh, you know, we'll start with Scott and I can, you know, while you were doing that, I'll forward you the list. The, the Buffalo News had a good, uh, good article on this. So I'll send that link along. Um, so I think if you look, if I guess if I'm thinking about how to construct this team, um, you know, I guess based off what we said previously, we're drafting a quarterback. So the, the, the problem is going to be we're not going to get a lot of production out of the position. So do you want to either try and build up a really good offense around him that he's going to be able to kind of grow into it, or do you want to try and double down on the defense and build on a pretty good secondary to try and have that team be, you know, are you going to try and win all your games 10 nothing, or are you going to try and win them, you know, 20 to 10? And I feel like it's easier to win games 10 nothing, or at least design your team that way so that you can, you can confidently say, like, as long as the quarterback doesn't, you know, explode on the field, we'll, we'll have a, like, literally explode, not, like, figuratively explode. Um, mm. Then we'll have a chance to keep keep things going. So, to me, that means you kind of have to start with, your, you have to prioritize your defense, and you have to bring back guys who are parts of that defense who are key. So, to me, like, Kyle, I think, gets to come back because he's Kyle. Like, maybe not on production and, and salary, but if it was anybody else, like, he, you know, maybe not. But because he's Kyle, he gets to see the table if he wants one. Um, after that, you know, I think you look at guys like EJ Gaines, who you may want to come up with some sort of good incentive laden contract to keep, because I think he's, he's good enough to be your number two kind of quarterback cornerback, uh, on the field. Then after that, I'm not sure. I think Preston Brown for me, I think he's okay, but I don't think he's good enough to be the pivot of the defense in this kind of, um, to be this kind of dominant defense that we need this defense to be um, and that I think they want to build. So I think the, um, the issue is you bring him back and you're kind of limiting how good you can be at linebacker. So I think you, you lose him, you lose Humber, and then, you know, you kind of got to start with Milano as your kind of re returning linebacker. Maybe that's where you pick up a free agent, um, a good free agent linebacker along with someone in the draft to try and fill that hole. And then you also got to go back to the draft to try and get another, at least one edge rusher, um, if not a defensive tackle, you know, either an edge rusher or a defensive tackle, because frankly, we need both. It might be, so. uh, I heard that, uh, what's his name from Carolina? Star Tulule. Star, Star uh, Tulule. Yes, thank you. He is the, he is a free agent this year. Um, and so they might address, use him to address defensive tackle. Uh, part of always is like who's available, right? Like part of this question is always, well, who can you replace him with? I like a lot of what Scott said. I think that a lot of the guys that you, um, you know, you look at a guy like EJ Gaines, and when he was in the lineup, it was certainly a better defense than without him. But the problem was he wasn't always in the lineup. He was a lot of times not in the lineup. So, you know, I have a, I, I, str I still sort of struggle with this. And maybe, maybe I could file a, 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 an amended brief later, Your Honor, and <laughs> uh, sort of get back to you on this. But I think that until they start 
kind of doing some stuff and there are so many holes, it might really be, um, I think that the way you would approach it as, as, the, as a front office person in this team is, you know, let's see what you can fix first. Let's see what becomes available and then from, and then go from there. But, you know, I, I think a guy like Tavares Cadet or Travaris Cadet is like a really safe, easy guy to re-sign. Like he's not going to cost nearly any money. He showed some nice flashes um, and you're going to make sure, you know, you're going to need running backs. Um, I, I don't really want to re-sign a guy like Humber. I don't really want to necessarily re-sign Cole Anderson, um, Jordan Matthews. I'm sure just hated his time here. Why would he ever want to come back? Um, so, you know, although possession receiver, maybe you could talk to him and say, Hey, if you're going to be healthy, you know, we'll see. Cause this really was an anomaly uh, this year for him in that regards. What about you, Paul? I, I'll, I'll let yeah. you sort of. Yeah, sure. And this is, you know, it's a, it's a rich topic and we'll talk more about as we get deeper into free agency, but I generally, you know, I definitely have points of agreement with, with both. I think Danny Crossman might agree, disagree with Frank on re-signing Humber and Anderson because those are two guys who contribute on special teams, but those are not guys you want on the defensive side of the ball. And the point can also be made that you can find, you know, better players who are better depth, on the defensive side of the ball who can play special teams comparably well to Humber and Anderson, even if they don't play as well. Uh, Matthews, I, I think, yeah, jettisoning him is good. He wouldn't want to come back. I don't think it was a, it was a terrible season for him. He'll probably take a prove it contract somewhere of one year to try and then get a big contract down the road, which I expect Sammy Watkins to also do because he had a down year uh, heading into his uh, contract year. And I think with the Bills having, you know, Zay Jones and, and Andre Holmes as potential slot receivers going forward, you don't need that many slot receivers in the, the lineup. They, as Scott mentioned, they really need to get better on the, the interior of the line. That includes both defensive tackle. Where you, I think guys like Cedric Thornton are going to be let go, try to replace them with, with better players. I, if you look at their strategy last year, they, just changed out their whole secondary and it got better and cheaper. And that's the way to do it. So I'm not expecting them to find comparable players at defensive tackle and linebackers. They did it safety and corner last year and bringing aboard uh, EJ Gaines and then Poyer and Hyde. And, and Frank had referenced the, uh, the difference with Gaines. The Bills were eight and three when EJ Gaines was in the lineup in 2017 and one and four without him. So either you need to re-sign him or you need to sign someone comparable to him uh, be, or you need to improve the depth behind, that was behind him so that if, you know, you, he does go out or whoever is in that role goes out, you know, you're, you're in better shape. So I think, you know, Chantrell Henderson's going to be a risk because of his health issues. So, you know, you could look at him as depth, but he's not a starter. You got guys like Joe Webb. Yeah, I give him a Depending on the QB situation, I give him a raise to come back if you don't have a, a glut of people there because of the how many times you get value out of your third quarterback. And the Bills got value out of their third quarterback every week because he also was able to do so much on, on special teams. So, and yeah, same with same with Cadet or Jones, whoever they go. You know, if you can bring one of those guys back on a minimum, they can prove themselves as a number two guy. Uh, that at the very least saves you, or you know, it's, you only have to go and get one one running back. We haven't talked about Tolbert because we don't need to. He needs to be gone. Uh, as far as what they do with Preston Brown, he was the NFL's leading tackler, but uh, you know, there's a lot of problems with the run defense and, you know, he fits into that. So we'll see what they end up doing. I think they might have someone who's a better idea for their scheme, but I trust the process. Uh, I trust Brandon Bean to make some moves that will be 
helpful to this uh, this roster to find guys like Poyer and Hyde and Gaines that became major defensive contributors this year and to find those guys the defensive tackle linebacker positions and hopefully uh, the wide receiver and some of the offensive line positions as well. So that's my thoughts on on uh, filling the, the holes in the lineup. So uh, speaking of, you know, and one of the players that factors into this on the offensive tackle as we, we transition is uh, Cordy Glenn. You know, how is his health situation going to be? Is that going to be another hole to fill? And I bring him up because he, along with uh, Kelvin Benjamin uh, and Zay Jones, are players that have had or are about to have, and I think they've all had the surgery now, various off-season surgeries, and the health of those three players definitely shapes uh, what they're doing with some of those holes. Charles Clay, of note, also is not going to have off-season surgery. They're just going to let him rest after he had his procedure mid-season. We'll start with, uh, you know, Frank on this topic to keep the rotation going. Of the three players who've had off-season surgeries, uh, Kellen Benjamin, Zay Jones, Cordy Glenn, which do you think is most key to be healthy going into the next season. I think there's arguments that can be made for all three of these guys. Kelvin Benjamin, Zay Jones, and Cordy Glenn. So you've got the, the main outside wide receiver. You've got a slot receiver who is a, a higher draft pick, and you've got a potential franchise left tackle, but who's also a big roster. Uh, that's who I'm, that's yeah. what I'm going with because I can't really, until I know who the quarterback is, I can't really say how important it is to have Zay Jones or Kelvin Benjamin be themselves because I think – the quarterback and the offensive coordinator are going to dictate how it, the game, like who is a bigger weapon. But I think you're always going to need a left tackle, um, regardless of who the quarterback is. So, uh, you know, especially with, um, I don't think Richie Incognito is a free agent, but I, I mean, we're now getting. He's this, got one more year. The, the 2019, right. man, next year at this time, we're going to be having a lively discussion. Right. about there's, so There's going to be a lot of good players going to free agency. So the more, the more good players, uh, you know, on that line that we can have healthy, the better. Um, so I will say, I will say Cordy. All right, Scott. Um, hey, Cordy too. But part of me wonders, like, if this wasn't like Doug Whaley's last gift to Bills fans was like cursing us with like a left tackle who's good enough to be like a top 10 left tackle, but never actually like, so I could see that kind of it's Cordy. Does that make sense? That that yep. makes uh, total sense. And I think the timing of it is what's hilarious too. He signs Darius to a big contract and then Darius ceases, starts being ineffective. Cordy Glenn had been largely healthy almost entirely his first four NFL seasons. And then if they sign a big deal, the last two years, he's been out of the lineup fairly consistently. I'm going to say Cordy as well, simply because, um, you know, Zaza, you know, earlier in his career, you can, a slot receiver is important, but it's not at the level of a number one receiver or a left tackle. Uh, Kelvin, he's a good number one, you know, he's a good number two receiver. Is he a viable number one? You don't really know, uh, you know, until you get better personnel around him. And also he's only under contract for one more season. So you've got to re-up him anyway. Cordy's under contract for the long haul and the team will need to make a decision about whether he's going to be a franchise left tackle, and they can move Dion to the right tackle position, in which case you've solved a big problem. If Dawkins can be effective at right tackle, and Cordy can be effective and healthy at left tackle. So, yeah, I think of the offseason surgeries of which ones improve the best, and of which ones, you know, are the most key. That's the one, because I think the Bills would be foolish to move on from Cordy Glenn despite his high uh, salary cap hit, because his cap number is – you know, it's it's 
14.4 this year, uh, 12.4 the next year. It keeps going down, uh, and it's for a top 10 left tackle. It's a good deal. But if he's not healthy or cannot return to the level of play he was at before then, then you have a serious decision to make about whether to try to trade him and get some value back in return, uh, knowing that you're going to be paying more dead cap money like they've done with Darius, uh, like they may be doing with Taylor, et cetera. So we'll see how that uh, that ends up playing out. It's definitely interesting. On to, you know, non-football-ish football news, and this is a very quick topic, but one that's worth mentioning. John Bon Jovi saying that it was Donald uh, Trump who put out there that the Bills – uh, you know, and we'll move on to this quickly. Uh, you know, it, he wouldn't have moved the bills. That was Donald Trump planned that. Any thoughts on this? Do we stay away from this controversial topic? I, um, I'm trying to think of a good Bon Jovi line to go out on, but no, <laughs> I had nothing, and I don't. Yeah, I got I don't know. Either. Yeah, I'm glad that the it. bills are staying in Buffalo. There. That's yes. a good place. To, yeah, there, there we go. And we'll say we'll say that. So I think this is going to be a. A non-story, it's a slow news filler. And we have a lot of news, so we'll move on from that topic in less than one minute. Uh, this day in Bill's history, uh, this is the one thing about rescheduling our podcast. I did a ton of research, which I'm going to do for this day in Bill's history next week on a situation that happened on uh, January 18th, way back in 2001. That's not a football game. It certainly was prominent. Uh, you know, and Lauren, it's, it's an interesting story. But in the interest of time commitment, I will uh, report on the one game in Bill's history that happened on January 20th, 2018, because it was the AFC championship uh, in 1991, the Buffalo Bills and the Los Angeles Raiders. And yes, I said Los Angeles Raiders, which is actually correct. Unlike when I say San Diego Chargers now, and I'm totally incorrect, but they were the Los Angeles Raiders at that point in time. This is the only game that's ever happened for the Bills on January 20th. And you know the... The story in that, what was, uh, you know, the there's a good article in the LA Times if you'd like to, uh, if you're shot in Freud, Freudianistic uh, like we are and like to dwell on other people's misery, and it mainly dwells on the misery of the Raiders, uh, defensive end, Howie Long saying, I don't think anybody could have stopped them. By the way, the Bills won this game 51-3, to for those of you who do not know your, your Bills history. Uh, they were totally unstoppable this day. They're up 48-3. to at halftime in this game, uh, and the, the Raiders had to call timeout on the Bills' very first drive uh, after they'd run five plays because they couldn't figure out how to stop them after the Bills had gained 12 yards, 14 yards, 15 yards, five yards, and nine yards on the first five plays of the game, and the Raiders were all winded. So, uh, you know, it was one of the greatest opening acts ever, is how it was referred to in an article. I'm hoping that siren goes by quickly. It seems to be passing. Uh, so the, you know, so yeah, Howie Long said, I don't think anyone could have stopped him. He could have brought back the steel curtain and it wouldn't have mattered. Um, defensive end, uh, or Jay Schrader said, obviously the ball didn't go where he wanted to go on some of his interceptions. Uh, Lionel Washington was crying, uh, after giving up five catches for 113 yards to former teammate, James Lofton, who the Raiders had cut the year before. Um, Wash said, I couldn't cover him, tears in my eyes. I don't blame myself, but I played a big part of the game. I couldn't come up with the big plays to stop him. You've got to take it personally uh, sometimes. The game was over at the half in two quarters. The Bills had had 387 yards. Thomas had rushed for 109 yards. Kelly thrown for 247. They were all pulled by the fourth quarter. Mark Sound said, a game like today is an education. You can talk a hell of a lot about being ready and focused. 
it's difficult to explain, but there are these other intangibles. When the level rises, you've got to be ready for it. Raiders were not. So uh, Greg Bell, who hadn't played since October 14th, worked mop-up duty in the fourth quarter and ended up being the Raiders leading rusher with 36 yards and reserve quarterback Vince, Al- Vince Evans was a close second with 33. What uh, stood out to me when I looked at the, the, the uh, you know, box score of this game, Bills running backs and fullbacks, five of them had carries in this game. The Bills don't even usually keep more than three running backs and fullbacks active on game day nowadays. They had five. Thomas mm-hmm. Carwell Gardner had a carry for 23 hours. I don't remember Davis, Jamie Mueller, and Don Smith all had carries. I remember Kenneth Davis having a great day because he had three TDs, but only 10 carries for 21 yards. So I didn't remember he was largely ineffective. Thomas had 138 on 25 and three quarters. Kelly threw for 300 yards. So all in all, a complete day. Any any thoughts on this? It was a historic game. It's one that I watched on Halloween with some friends about 10 years ago just because it's, it is probably – the most uplifting game, one of the most uplifting games in in Bill's history. Sounds good. I, I, I have no memories of this game. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure if I watched it or not. All right. Yeah. This would have been right before the, uh, the time where Scott has been the week before Scott got to watch the Super Bowl that made him true. sympathetic true. to our Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I may have watched it because my dad right. probably would have been watching it anyway, but mm-hmm. just don't mm-hmm. remember. Right. So um, as far as the trivia question this game, I, I'll have to switch it up because, again, my original trivia question was about the issue I was going to cover, which I'll cover uh, next week. Um, let's see. OK, so we're going to make it what I'll do, because I don't like you guys to cheat on on the box scores, which is so okay. easy. And, and I think the only reason Scott gets it every, right every week is because he cheats on the box scores. If I That's ask, a hefty uh, allegation there. How dare you? How dare I know. You? Sir. Sorry. Sir. I Shouldn't even put that out there. So so there is a a fairly legendary Raiders player. He had already at this point played uh, 12 years in the league. He would play one more. He was a multiple-time first-team All-Pro, both by the AP and PFWA. Um, He was nearing the the end of his professional career at this point. Um, He did score two touchdowns. Uh, during his career, he had 14 sacks, you know, during the course of his career. Uh, when he was asked about uh, this game, what happened to the Raiders, he says, hey, some teams never got to this point. The only team that feels good in the offseason is the Super Bowl champion, but the last game is the one you're going to remember in the offseason. And it said, simply don't remind him because this game did not go as planned. So this Raider, who'd been in the league a long time, uh, started this game. Uh, but was nearing the end of his tenure and was definitely disappointed to not get one more chance to play in the Super Bowl. Can you name this Raiders starter who had uh, this put-in-perspective yet depressing quote? I think it's Jim Kelly. <laughs> Kelly. Wow. Bold guess. Yeah. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm going to go with um, – so it was a Raiders starter. Yep. Um, I think – I think I'm going to go with Kenemet Nefer Hajet. Which, which one? <laughs> Kenemet Nefer. That's such a good point. I think it was Kenemet Nefer Hajet, the first, uh, because okay. I think I think uh, it was a her. By the way, you, right. you remember, of course, Frank, because that was when we let Egyptian queens play, but not Egyptian kings. Um, right. And I think her daughter went on to play for the uh, for the Chiefs. And then I think, 
I think he, well, you I think she was with her with Kenemaragat, daughter of Amenemhat the second. Uh, you know, but that, yeah, that may well. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's Kenem met Neferhajet the first. But I mean, okay. Paul's Paul, Paul, you. T- I mean, you're the you're Paul knows yeah. it off the top of his head. Like that's the people don't know. He knows right, it I off do. the top of his head. These and I, questions it, usually. You know, it's funny. I couldn't even. My spelling was so bad. Wikipedia had no clue what I was trying to do. Nor did Google. <laughs> I had no clue who I was trying to look up on this one. It was they just looked at Nefer Facet and just it was. It was bad. So it maybe I I don't know again because we've the, talked about the English translation may be different. I'm using the Egyptian right. name. The English right. translation may be different. Right. So if that's right. correct, the of English course. translation of this name would be Jerry Robinson. Ah, uh, yeah. There's sure. a great player in Tecmo Bowl, not Tecmo Super Bowl, mind you, because by that point his skills are diminished. But in the Tecmo Bowl era, the original game, uh, he was always intercepting passes for the. Uh, the Raiders, he was started left linebacker that game. He didn't still show up on the stat sheet that I saw. He might have had some tackles. I didn't look at the tackles in this game because he was a linebacker, and linebackers are always tackling people. That's what they do, as we talked about earlier. But yeah, he was uh, you know, he was a starting left linebacker uh this game. He started his career with Philly, you know, was on the all pro team in nineteen eighty one. He was an Egyptian queen several centuries yeah, before very, that. Uh, so yeah, that must be it then. Scott must be right. I remember uh, the story because he he had lobbied to have the hieroglyphics of his name on the back of his jersey, which of course is a pitcher, uh, like a water pitcher, followed by a little circle with a cross on top, uh, followed by the long uh, queen hat that is typical on people's heads. Um, but they wouldn't let him because you know, and then that's why, you know, that was one of the first things the XFL did uh, when it came around, was you could have whatever you wanted on the back of your jersey. Uh, yeah, so that's that's uh, funny bird pyramid cross cross <laughs> circle. This is funny reminding bird, me. Funny I, used, <laughs> I used to wear a shirt that had hieroglyphics on it. And I ran into an Egyptian guy, and he looked at my shirt and said, "Hey, your shirt is total nonsense. Like it, like literally means like uh, <laughs> awesome. Doug and you know mug. It was like it was like it was the most random thing. I'm like, damn, because the there's a shirt for a band called Universal Honey, uh, local band in the Buffalo area." <laughs> And I thought it just meant universal honey, but no, it was just random. That's actually the answer to next week's trivia question is universal. Yes, damn. We're ahead of the game. So uh, before we wrap up, we should talk quickly about the games from last weekend. What's coming up this weekend? Uh, the only one, boy, I think we just have to talk about, you know, two things. Which I don't feel like talking about New England or Philadelphia. I think those were both, you know, the Philadelphia one was mildly surprising only because, uh, you know, they had a, you know, they, they were in the backup quarterback situation, but they were still home team. New England, not surprising at all. Dominant victories expected. Jacksonville over Pittsburgh, that, you know, we've is pretty, I should say surprising. They'd gone to Pittsburgh 139, but certainly it woke up a lot of people who thought that it was Lucas that they beat in Pittsburgh earlier this year and that Jacksonville doesn't, uh, didn't have the horses to get this far. And then obviously that Minnesota-New Orleans game, wow, that was just that was something else. I, and I know, Frank, you didn't see the end of that because I saw on Twitter later, like, oh, wow, I would have loved to see that. Live. I actually, I have no horse in that reason. I was probably slightly ruined for New Orleans only because my brother-in-law is a Saints fan. But I actually stood up when it happened, like, oh, my God, the only walk-off touchdown in NFL history. Any thoughts on the uh, playoff games from this past weekend? I didn't watch very many of them. I was busy at Daniel Tiger Live here in Washington. Oh, that's right. You were blocked uh, from us, and I thought, like, oh, we should invite them out for, for drinks afterwards. And that's like, no, that's right. They have a child with them. We do. And we went to Elephant and Castle, and she, I mean, it was way past bedtime. Scott might appreciate. <laughs> but he was 
she was riding high and she had a great time and all in all was like actually pretty good at bedtime considering you know we were like at the restaurant when normally we're like reading books to relax but she was like a full hour late no bath no problem Wow. Really liked Daniel Taker Live. All your all your favorites were there. That's uh, good. I, I remember asking Susan on Facebook about, oh, who was my favorite? Who was there, but not X. There was a lot of like, oh, uh, my mommy's off stage. I have to go see her now. And like uh, that person was never there. Okay. Um, interesting Ooh. choice, of course, to have Daniel Tiger as the only fully faced uh, member with like a full cartoon face. All the other characters had like a head with, but then you could see like the real person face. Uh, oh, but I don't like that. It made no difference to Evelyn, who for the first half was like sort of like figuring it all out, and then an intermission, and the second half was like fully invested, one hundred percent. So those are my thoughts on the four games this weekend. Yeah, no, that was a good summary of the playoffs. Scott, is your summary similar? Uh, no. no, I mean, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I did watch. Well, yeah, I mean, we did watch a lot of Paw Patrol, I think, probably last weekend. We'll, <laughs> we'll get into that on our uh, Paw Patrol podcast, maybe next pop. But right. um, maybe next we, pop. Uh, <laughs> we, we, uh, we, uh, I did watch um, a lot of actually the Jacksonville uh, Pittsburgh game. That was kind of wild. Like that was that was a really pretty good game. And then I kind of I wanted to watch the Saints Vikings game, but I didn't get a chance. And then I was able to turn in for the literally the last five minutes. And I was like, oh, my God, like this is the best game in the history of mankind. Like it was pretty wild because it was like the Vikings have the huge lead and they 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 blow it. Like I saw the block punt that the Saints got. And I'm like, oh, there's the Vikings. That's they're like the Bills, except they play in the NFC North. Like that's how they lose this game. Like I saw Drew Brees complete one pass. and I'm like, oh, he's definitely scoring. So I so I turned it off for two minutes and I I went and did something. I came back and they had already scored. And I'm like, yep, Saints are up now. And then I was like, oh, the the Vikings are playing this too conservative. You know, they they were moving. They this is when they were down by one, and they ended up settling for like a 54 yard field goal. And I'm like, because like they got in like 55 yard field goal range, and even though it's indoors, they suddenly started like they were treating it like it was a 40 yarder, and they needed to just sit on it and play conservative. And I was like, that's going to backfire, but it didn't. They kicked it, but then they left a minute and a half left still for Breeze to go down, score the the field goal. And then I, I did watch live when the 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 miracle happened, and that was just like. I, I I think I don't think I, I did not scream as loud as I did in the Bills game, obviously, or the, right. the Bengals game more more importantly. Um, but it was I was I, I there was an audible gasp from myself when that happened because that was um, that's a, that's a tough uh, that's a tough way to lose if you're the Saints. And that is that is pretty. Yeah, I mean, the Vikings, obviously, they got the Super Bowl at home, so I'm sure they're thinking they got it. But if they go into the offseason with that as the best moment of their season, that's that's going to be pretty tough to beat. Frankly. Yeah. No, that'll be that would be something. So, yeah, the uh, so this this weekend the championship games: Jacksonville visiting New England, Minnesota visiting Philadelphia, and we'll head right back to to you, Scott, because if Minnesota wins this, they're going to host the Super Bowl, if you will. Uh, in Jacksonville, New England, you know we expect it to be a New England domination, but after we've this, the playoffs are seen, anything can happen. I think I think Minnesota. I mean, obviously Minnesota. I mean, well, okay. So, the game is in Philly, by the way, just to clarify. Yeah, for just, any, to, any just to clarify. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's. I mean, if it was in Minnesota, I think Minnesota's a lock. I think, you know, I think I would have had the, the the Falcons in the game last week, and the Rave, the Eagles were able to kind of, put, you literally kick five field goals to win the game. I don't know. 
That's the thing. I think they could probably kick five field goals, and I don't know that Minnesota. Look at these two defenses. I mean, that that could happen. So I I guess I'm going to have to go with Philly, but I I I am going to be rooting for mini mini uh, Minnesota, and then in yeah in the other game. (laughs) (laughs) Got to get a reference. Yeah, Um, the. yeah, it, it, I don't feel great about it. Um, the other game, Jacksonville, I've been telling everyone this week, like I've, a number of people talked to me about this game for some reason, and I've been saying like if it was anybody other New England, like if you even took all the players on New England and you put them in like Pittsburgh or some you other invent, AFC team. Honolulu, like invent and, the city. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and Jacksonville had to play the same team members, but they weren't the New England Patriots. I would, I would pick them... Um, and like there was no history of what New England has done, I would pick Jacksonville because I think the matchups are all in their favor. Like they've got a fantastic defense that can keep Brady off the field. They've got guys who can cover Gronkowski. They can score enough points against a, a banged up kind of New England defense that isn't what it was. Like Brady's freaking, you know, who knows what's, you know, he's going to have his thumb in a cast or something. Um, but I can't. I still can't. I can't do it. I can't. I can't. I will be rooting for Jacksonville, you know, with with all my heart, but I cannot pick them to win that game. All right, Frank. Yeah, no, I, I, I can't decide if, if I'm more upset by the Patriots going to the Super Bowl or Doug Marone going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, I mean, hey, Doug, dick, now in I Frank's can't... defense, Doug Marone did just take $4 million from the Bills organization to leave and abandon them after a 9-7 and seven season. So there's, I understand that point of view, but I also am kind of it's also rooted by deep-rooted hatred of everything that the Patriots have caused in terms of pain of the bills and other teams of the last few years definitely supersedes it. I just also, there is some part of me that still doesn't really believe in Jacksonville. I mean, I'm hedging here because I, I can't really say that for sure. I, after last week, I don't want to say for sure that they can beat new England. It's not a hundred percent. It's, but it's probably like 85% that I would pick new England to win the game. But like, I still think it's a middling team and I wouldn't be surprised at all if this exact Jacksonville team went seven and nine next year or and just like played different teams and got beat and didn't make the playoffs I don't think they're a great football team they have a very good defense they have a very good defense Scott's right that that side of the ball is 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 a very matchup for the Patriots in that they can create pressure without having to blitz and etc um but I don't know that if they had to play a, a, a you know not in the AFC South that they would have you know, done very well. So I'm going to take New England. I think it's not the lesser of two evils, but it's the evil I'm used to enduring. Um, and in the other game, I think Scott's right. Like this game could be 12 to nine. And I, I'm not sure who has 12 and who has nine. So I am going to be rooting for the Eagles because my friend who is a neighbor is an Eagles fan. And so I'll be rooting for them in this case, uh, but not with any sort of real fervor. Um, although the the only good thing about Jacksonville making it but again it would be credited doug marone is that a new person would win the super bowl so all you need is jacksonville to make it jacksonville makes it you're going to have you're going to add a team to the pantheon of super bowl winners which i like i know some people don't like because it's like well the bills haven't won so yeah there's technically a three-quarter chance of a new first-time super bowl champion this year but not really i mean it's really like a it's really like a mathematically you're correct right right there's a there's a three quarter probability or um, odds, but not probability. Right. Or, or and after tomorrow, that'll be either fifty percent or a hundred percent. 
right. So we'll have to go to the NYT playoffs calculator to see all the scenarios. Yeah. <laughs> all all four scenario possibilities. Yep. I'd uh, love to but, give a dissent. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, that's I'm done. No, I'm done. Yeah, I'd love to give a dissent opinion, but I, I pretty much uh, agree with you, you both, uh, and I almost agree perfectly with Scott Alby. I think the 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 Eagles is it's going to be just field goals back and forth in that game. I think there's going to be some scoring. Uh, you have two not great quarterbacks. So Keenum was a better performer throughout the year than Full showed his last few weeks of the regular season when he filled in for Wentz. Uh, but I, I think Philly's got the home field advantage. I think they're a very strong team. Uh, they've already beaten Minnesota this year, if I recall. So I, I'm going to say Philly in that game. And then see, I think, which Jacksonville team are we going to get in? And Frank alludes this to the – if you had seen the Jacksonville team that beat Buffalo two weeks ago, you'd say New England will destroy this team. And then if you see the one that went to Pittsburgh last week and dominated Pittsburgh for one half of football before the second half got a little crazier – uh, but still managed to finish them off and prevented uh, Pittsburgh from ever fully coming back to tie that game or take a lead, you would say, oh, they have a legitimate chance because of all the matchup advantages that Scott mentioned earlier. I think uh, the truth is probably somewhere in between, and I think the Patriots, just with the experience factor, uh, they've been there before, but I think it's going to be the Patriots in this as well. We're going to be talking about a uh, Patriots-Eagles Super Bowl rematch from uh, about 15 years ago or so when it was uh, McNabb versus Brady back in the day and Terrell Owens was an Eagle. Uh, mm -hmm. That was a long time ago. But anyway, so yeah, that'll be what we talk about on the podcast either next week or the week after. For those of you who don't know, we have got, we had one bye week when the Bills took their bye week, but for five and a half months, uh, we've gone nonstop on this podcast. So we'll take probably a week off, if not this week, uh, the week after, but we'll have one more pod before the Super Bowl with our Super Bowl predictions, recap of the NFC title game, and then focusing on any Bills news that happens in that time. So it could be uh, there's a lot that can happen. There's also nothing that can happen. I looked over past headlines from this uh, time of year. So we could have another 90. We could have a 90-minute podcast or a 45-minute podcast. We'll see how it goes. But uh, in the meantime, on any uh, news, I'll be tweeting a little bit during the games tomorrow, I'm sure. Uh, you can find uh, Paul at twitter.com slash BeeblesMNY. Scott handles the Facebook page, facebook.com slash BeeblesMNY. And sometimes mm -hmm. Frank will chime in with comments as well. Uh, you can find us on uh, iTunes, of course. You can uh, find us on our, uh, what's we call page? WordPress page. But we're not going to really do much on that page. Uh, but we'll do more on that page and we'll have our Gmail address. But you can email us if you want at BeeblesMNY gmail.com. And we'll get that email between now and 2019, as I often joke. So, um, until then, any final thoughts from you guys? Oh, have a nice weekend, everybody. I, well, depending on when this gets posted, have a nice day or week. <laughs> yes. So uh, thanks to Frank for he's going to do yeoman's work in editing this as he did last week because, uh, you know, we seem to have challenges uh, week after week. But we'll be on our game next week and uh, or the week after that. But until then, uh, enjoy the championship games, everyone. Uh, go Bills. And uh, this is Paul. I'm Scott. I'm Frank. See you guys next time. Okay, I'm back. All right, you're back. Looks like Scott's coming back on now, and too. that's how you get Tom Brady onto the Bills for <laughs> no more than a third-round draft pick. Somebody, somebody got that, right? We're, that's great. We're live? This is that's great. great. We figured it out. That's great. I was on by myself, Scott. <laughs> you didn't even know. But Paul started Zoom. Okay, so, so I started to Zoom again, and then and so I, I had I just, to log off. So I was just quiet for the last minute. <laughs> so, yeah, right. that, that, I think we'll probably cut that that whole thing. Yeah, there'll be bonus it's... content at the end, if anything. I'll do a little <laughs> extra editing. All right. So, yeah. Paul, can, can you...
quietly count to three or four in your head uh, once I yeah. stop talking and then just start us on the quarterback conversation um, sure. with Tyrod and we'll go to Scott first who will hopefully be able to share with us his will not, will not break the hangouts again. Okay. Okay. 